Rich Baker, and this is Living the Dream, a show where I get to talk to the rare few who make their living in the world of entertainment. Special thanks to Phil Ranta and the Comedy Podcast Network. Thank you also to Tom Burns for the artwork and Diana Lawrence for the original music. If you would like, I would love more comments on iTunes, so if you could rate the show, leave a comment, I will love you forever. This episode features the man who makes this podcast possible, who I thank in every episode. He is an actor, an editor, a writer, and the CEO of ComedyPodcastNetwork.com, Phil Ranta. Living the dream, I am here with Phil Ranta. Hello, Rich Baker. Thank you for having me. This guy uh, is an actor, a writer... Uh, a new media expert, a brand manager. You're the CEO of the reason why this podcast will be heard by people, if not multiple people. Uh, I hope so. You are the man. Two and more people will probably hear this. I think uh, if if anyone has listened to all my episodes so far, they're probably really sick of the joke of my, I go, oh, my tens of listeners. Yes. Uh, which I think I've said on like five or six podcasts. At well, I think that you're going to make it up to 11 on this one. Thank I have you. at least 11 friends. No, it goes up to 11. Yeah. It's one more. It's up to We're 11. We're turning it up to 11. 11. It's, it's one more. Liverpool. <laughs> I just wanted to throw in my Liverpool accent in case the casting director is listening and going, I need a guy who does a Liverpool accent. They can call me. Yep, and they're obviously going to, a casting agent's going to listen to an audio-only podcast yeah. and go, this guy will be perfect for this movie role. Yeah. I don't know what he looks like. They don't know that I look like the elephant man. Maybe I've got a bag on my head right now. Maybe it's now. a casting director for uh, voiceovers, and then you're great. Perfect. Liverpool. <laughs> so you've got a film degree from the University of Michigan. I do, yes. And you, uh, what did you when you went into school? Did you know you want to be film major? No, not at all. When I first went into school, I was a computer science major. Uh, my first three years of my life there, and uh, three I, years, wow, three years. Yeah, I was very close to getting a degree in computer science. And then you said no. And then I went, you know what? That's that's too much of a. I'm going to get a good paycheck from that, and my life will be much easier. I don't think I want that. No, you want things to be different, right? Actually, uh, it came about because uh, I went to Michigan State for a party weekend, and uh, a girl there gave me mono. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I came back, and I was in a bunch of really because hard... Because you drank uh, the same cup that she did. Right, absolutely, yeah. Okay. We drank out of the same cup, and it was full of mono. You could see the mono floating around in it. And you should have seen it. I should have, yeah. You really should be paying attention. There was so much mono in it that the cup was actually going, mono, as I was drinking it. And then I came back, and I was in a bunch of really hard... I was in, like, a circuits class, and I was in this advanced programming class at that point for a C++. Those are words that I don't even know what they mean. It's, it's pretty much like you pull all-nighters almost every night all week um not not forgetting mono no no not that well you could probably get mono if the wrong person is licking the keyboard and then you lick the keyboard you know does that happen a lot in computers oh god you wouldn't believe those people love computers (laughs) love it oh i got a keyboard licking uh, (laughs) so uh and then you were like you know what well, I came back, and I, for a good week, I was having shivers so bad that I couldn't sleep. Jeez. I wasn't getting any work in, so I turned in uh, my first assignment in my advanced programming class, and I think I got like a 15% on it, or something 15. like that. 15%, yes. That's not good. I no, that's really bad. <laughs> so I sat there, and I'm like... Uh, I don't. I don't like the work that I'm doing. Right. Like I probably wouldn't have. I mean, I was getting good grades at that point, but I was like, "This is going to be my life forever." Like all nighters and having to work my butt off and something that I 
enjoyed, I think, more for the idea of, like, maybe someday I can do this and then still keep comedy going at night, which I was doing at the time. And so I woke up the next day when I had this night of shivers where the entire night I was like, God, I need to change my life. And I went and I dropped all my computer science classes, and I took all film classes because I enjoyed them, and then I stayed with that forever. So. Wow. Well, forever. So you'd already been doing comedy when you were a computer science major. Yeah. So when did comedy creep into the life of Phil Rando? It's hard to give an exact date. Live performance didn't come about until later in my college career. Before that, I was just writing a lot. Okay. Um... But did it start in high school? It, I guess it kind of did. It's hard to pinpoint. I mean, I always liked comedy. I was a comedy nerd, as they say. Like, as opposed to now, when you're a comedy cool guy. Right, exactly. I'm, I'm the Fonz of comedy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I kick a microphone on stage at open mic nights, and then something cool starts, cool jokes start coming out, and <laughs> everyone starts doing the monkey. And I want to see you walk into a bar, hit the, the thing with your hip, the, uh, the whatever it's called, the... The jukebox. The jukebox. And then, like, a Richard Pryor. Right. Starts. <laughs> hey! You don't have a woman! I don't know, Richard Pryor routine. That summed it up. That was his entire routine. Wow! <laughs> he, just, he just sounded like a record scratcher. <laughs> That's him on Fast Forward. What so. kind of things did you write? Um, I did, like... I, I was kind of uh, a bit of a film geek also back in high school. Uh-huh. So at one point my senior year, I got really into my film and video production class that I was in taking there in high school. Wow. It, you went to a far better high school. Well, that's the thing is they didn't even have the class until my senior year, I believe. And the program's still going now, which is good considering the state of the public school systems these days. Yeah, that's insane. So with the same teacher. Um, and at that time, like a bunch of people wanted to get into that class. And took it, but most of them wanted to take it as a blow off class. Sure. And me and a dedicated group of friends decided we wanted to take it seriously. And almost all we did was kind of sketch comedy. I mean, I'd go back and I'd look at those, and it was awful sketch comedy kind of stuff. It wasn't funny at all. No. There was one, I think, that our crowning achievement. Um, well, I'll, I'll preface this by saying that when they got good videos, they would show it on our morning announcements. And uh, we had video morning announcements at that time because we did like a TV thing. Because you went to high school in the Future. I did. I went. I went to a future high school. Uh, I got my DeLorean and I went to school in the year three thousand. Uh, but uh, there was one skit that me and my buddy did where we thought it'd be hilarious to do a commercial parody for something called Gator Egg, where two people are playing basketball. One is dressed as the Easter Bunny, and mm-hmm. the other one is just dressed normally. And then after we finish an intense round of basketball, we reach into a cooler and pull out eggs and then crack them and put them all over our face. Was this at all inspired, or did it come before the uh, uh, cookie dough? It was before the cookie dough thing. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was pre-cookie dough. Um, for if, if those listening, to, it was a Saturday Night Live sketch where the Gatorade bottles filled with cookie dough, and they get done running a race and they pour cookie dough right. themselves, which, which was reminds, a far better sketch than what we did. But, but I, I love that you came up with that before this, and you this could have been on Saturday Night Live. Well, at that time, though. Uh, like, uh, every single sports drink commercial involved people having... It was the exact same format. People get exhausted, and then they take Gatorade or Powerade or whatever and pour it all over their face. <laughs> that was the thing. And we thought that's what was originally funny about it. But then we uh, we shot that video, and we aired it on morning announcements. And I think that we were, like, the school pariahs for a couple weeks because everyone thought we were so weird and not funny. 
And I think that's what got me into doing comedy was like, I love this feeling of something I find so genuinely funny, alienating a bunch of suburban white kids. Well, and uh, that's what, that's, I think that's why comedy was invented. I think so, yeah. So you, you get out of school with this film degree and then you pretty much moved immediately to Los Angeles. Yeah, I was actually moved to Los Angeles following a pilot. Uh, I shot a pilot in college with a bunch of people from Second City, Detroit. I met through doing comedy through there. Uh, Tim Robinson, who's on Second City Main Stage, was one of the people in it. Um, the guys from who opened up Go Comedy, which is in Ferndale, Michigan, now they were in it. So there was a bunch of people who were still doing comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and was this something that you wrote? Well, it was a semi-scripted thing. So I wrote the uh, kind of what it looks like. The outline or whatever. Yeah. And then uh, it was like we did a full treatment, and then we kind of uh, met with all of the guys, and then we kind of beat out a bunch of things where we'd be like, oh, it's so funny. And uh, the premise was it was five guys uh, who were just entering college who were living in a house together, and then hijinks ensue, and none of them can get laid. It's actually, it was a pretty open idea kind of thing. Sure. But what came out of it was something that was really funny, because it was a bunch of really funny people who were acting in it. Yeah. So we shot that, and um, the few connections I had in L.A., I showed it around, and there was one uh, production company who was like, yeah, we'll help you, you know, try and sell this. Oh, wow. And uh, so we went out. Right out of college. Yeah. I think that's a huge accomplishment. It was crazy, yeah. I mean, I was always into, I shot a a few pilots when I was in college because I was kind of TV-focused at the time. I was a screenwriting-focused primarily, but I also did a lot of TV stuff. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we went out there following the pilot, and I was 23 years old, and we were pitching to Comedy Central and G4, and it was insanely exciting at the time, and we were getting really positive feedback. And then, like a lot of things, it just kind of fell apart. It looked like it was getting close a bunch of times. We ended up selling it to uh, uh, Turner had a web portal at that time called Super Deluxe. Mm. It was kind of like their funnier die before funnier die. And we ended up selling it to them. Uh, I didn't see much of the money, uh, but the production company that was representing it did. And I learned a valuable lesson about shooting your own things and not getting anyone else involved who could screw you. And But if you hadn't got the company, would you have been able to like make the meetings that you made? No. Yeah. No, I, I would not. I mean, I would have had to go through old methods of... Submitting it to festivals, trying to get it to an agent who would then want to represent me to, you know, send it out. And I just, I was broke at that time. I had no money. I was living off macaroni and cheese and hot dogs pretty much at that time, so. Sounds awesome. Yeah. It was great. (laughs) Living the dream. Living the dream. Hey, that's the name of this podcast. Well, I wanted to get the titular line in. Living the dream. (laughs) That's the. (laughs) That's the new theme song done by a Muppet. Living the dream. Uh, so you uh, you move out to Los Angeles. The pilot doesn't wind up. Uh, I mean, it makes you a little money, but but not much. What what's what what next? What happens? So at that time, uh, I decided to leave the company I was working at. At that time, I was working for the company then who was representing it. They the decided to bring company. me on. Yeah, but I was making barely enough to live. I mean, if you work out the hours that I was working, it was less than minimum wage. Sure, I was making nothing. And LA is an expensive town. So I've heard. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> I'm not telling tales out of class, I think, by saying that. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, 
so I quit my job cold, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do next. But then uh, somebody who I met out there who knew that I could edit said, hey, I'm working for this new media company now, and we need to bring on an editor for a little while. Would you want to work there? And I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll take it on for a little bit. It was supposed to be like maybe a two-month gig. And I ended up staying for almost six years wow. at that company. So uh, through a round So of- you just left that company recently. Yeah, pretty recently. When I started doing the boats for Second City was when I officially left. So you're working for this company as an editor, and then you're still doing, you're performing live comedy at night. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ever since I moved to Los Angeles, I was trying to get in the scene, as so many people are. Sure. Doing the classes everywhere and trying to get teams together. And yeah, by the time I left uh, that company, it made it so much easier that I had, you know, a day job where I made some money, and then I wasn't auditioning during the day, but I was doing comedy every night, so at least I knew kind of what I had to go through in order to make a living at it once right. I left. And uh, so is, is the Los Angeles scene similar to the Chicago scene in that, like, if you want to do comedy, you basically you, you have to take the classes, which whether or not you learn something, it's more or less a rite of passage to get somewhere beyond that? Not necessarily. I like the Chicago way of that better because that more fits my personality, but L.A. has so much to do with... If you were in a guest spot of a show that people want to see you, so you get the good parenthetical after your name of, like, Rich Baker, parenthetical, you know, uh, last call with Carson Daly, something like that, you can get on pretty much any stage you want, anywhere you want. Wow. If you, It doesn't matter if you're terrible, which, as we all know, you are. Uh, oh, no. Let's not even go there. That's, that's a 60-minute podcast. Uh, how this guy's not funny. Should I be interviewing you for this? Oh, let's. We'll talk about that for a future episode. Uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, it does have some of that kind of meritocracy too. I mean, if you're, if you don't have that parenthetical, you need to know people. You need to really kind of grind it out. Is that what you did? Yeah, I. Well, when I moved to L.A., I knew nobody in the comedy scene. Sure. And I decided uh, the comedy club that I was performing at most often in Michigan was called the Improv Inferno, and it was such like a community atmosphere, and it was like the little comedy club that could, and it was so much fun. So I went to L.A., and I had the dreams of that happening again, so I found this comedy club that just opened in Santa Monica called the West Side Eclectic. And uh, I started taking classes there, and I started performing there on their house teams. And then I was pretty much there all the time for a couple of years. And now it's called the Mission Improbable Westside Comedy Theater. They rebranded and they have new people running it. You I, know the Mission Improbable. I'm part guys, of Mission so. Improbable. There you go. I haven't performed with their L.A. side, but I've, I've worked with them in Chicago for a couple of years now. Yeah, it's been a while since I performed there. But, you know, eventually I left there because it was just, it's, it's, I was kind of like, all right, I need to see what other theaters are out there. I performed around the other theaters when I could at, like, cage matches or things like that, but nothing substantial. And then I went to Second City Hollywood, and that's kind of where I made my home, and I'm still there today. And by, when you say you went there, does it, you mean you took classes there, yeah. or you got on stage, or... Yeah, I, I took the classes, uh, I went through their conservatory program, and just started performing there whenever someone would give me stage time, which nice. wasn't often at first, I mean, it was, especially when we were doing it uh, back then, it's changed a lot since then, but if you were not an alumni, it was 
was hard to get stage time back then. And by then. alumni, we, we have to say that, like, most people think alumni means uh, you went to school somewhere and you're an alumni of that school. Right, the traditional second, way. <laughs> with Second City, you go to their school and you're not even close to an alumni means that you've done one of their stages, which is, like, very, very difficult. Right. <laughs> yes, it's like student level, graduate level, and then alumni level. If you live in L.A., you can never get higher than a graduate level. Sure. Uh, I've done two contracts with Second City Boats, and I can't call myself an alumni. Yeah, we both work for Second City right now, Yeah, but we're not alumni. Exactly. Makes total sense. It's an interesting system. Well, uh, how did the boats come about for you? So the boats came about, um, I was doing a lot of shows at Second City Hollywood, and then every year to 18 months in Los Angeles, they do kind of their massive auditions, which everyone in L.A. is super nervous about because that's it. Like, the boats are as far as you can go at Second City. So everyone who graduated comes out for these auditions, and there's hundreds of people there, a lot of which you've never seen do comedy. They they graduate from the program, they don't do anything, and then they show up to these auditions. And so I went through the auditioning process with all those people. I did not expect to make it. I didn't think there was any way I was going to make it. And, yeah, I got it, made it to callbacks. Uh, they had 16 people there. A lot of them were super actory and big, and that is not me at all. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't have this. And then, like, a week after callbacks, I got a call, and I, they asked me to be on a boat. So and then you went to Alaska. I left a month later. Nice. It was fast. It was head-spinningly fast. What, uh, how... I guess, I don't know how to word this, uh, you you had, like, this kind of full-time job, which was in the business, by definitely, I mean, you're an editor for a, for a video. Yeah, but, by that uh, time, I was an executive producer. Wow. I moved up through the ranks as people kept getting fired, I kept getting promoted. And, even, I mean, I guess, that's not, that is a day job, but it isn't, I don't know how to classify that, but, like, when you go from that, working a lot of hours, to being on a cruise ship where... You work six hours a week tops, uh, getting paid, and during those six hours, you're performing, and, and yeah. you get paid literally to perform, uh, and then you go, like, it, can you go back? That's the question I'm asking myself right now, because I, I plan on probably taking a break from the boats for a little while. I want to definitely work on the writing side harder, because that's the dream, is to be the comedy writer. Yeah. Um... But, yeah, it's, I can't imagine going back to an office job in the same way. I mean, I kind of got jaded with the process anyways because uh, you spend a lot of time, especially when you work in those kind of things, putting in a lot of work for a corporation. Mm-hmm. And if you do a great job, then the company makes more money and the CEO gets a vacation. <laughs> and if you do a terrible job, the company loses a lot of money and the CEO doesn't get a vacation. But it doesn't affect you. Uh, I'm a pretty hard worker anyway, so I worked my butt off, but when you don't see any incentives for it, it's so hard, and that's why I started Comedy Podcast Network, so I was like, I've worked in new media so many years, and I am sick of putting in a lot of work and not seeing anything come back, except for maybe a pat on the back and a good job that, that doesn't amount to anything substantial you know there's so many things i want to explore with you so i'm gonna we'll start out with you you've got to be executive producer you were literally pitching reality tv show ideas yeah that was at the job previously oh that was the job before (laughs) okay so let's start with that (laughs) okay um because you're a year younger than me and i'm still thinking like well i'm too young to 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 be a producer you know and i know that's terrible i mean there's 16 year old producers which makes me sick but like (laughs) 
What, what was it like being the guy to go to different, I assume, networks and production companies and go, here's a few ideas I have for reality TV shows? That was really exciting. I mean, um, I was never the higher up at that company enough to be able to, like, lead the pitches necessarily. That was all done by the executive producer there. But me and the guy I worked with at the time, whose name was Zach... A lot of our job involved us sitting at desks across from each other and going, all right, we've got a pitch for Outdoor Life Network. Let's come up with ten concepts right now for reality shows that can go to Outdoor Life Network that would be cheap to shoot and would fit their brand. So we'd see their entire episode lineup. We'd say, okay, right now they're focused on this. Like, maybe right now they're in a big archery phase or, you know. And it's really that specific where they're like, they just picked up three new shows about bass fishing. Is there something we could do about bass? You know? And uh, we would just sit. There was... There was one time in particular where our boss was out of the office for a week and we didn't exactly know what to do. And we decided to write down a hundred reality show pitches by the time he came back. Wow. And we did it. We got all the way through it. And we ended up pitching a lot of those or developing a lot of those. Are any of them that we would have didn't even get made that we know of? None of those got made. About? None of those got made. Um, but... Uh, there was there was a lot of them that got developed and pitched. Yeah. But like anything in Hollywood, you do a thousand things, and maybe one of them will get to step two, but, you know. Yeah. There's 30 steps in order to get on TV. Which blows my mind, because at least in my opinion, there's so much bad reality TV out there. Insane amount. Insane amount of I bad reality know, TV. I don't know any of your pitches, but I mean, some of them had to be better than what I'm... Oh, yeah. There's some of those pitches that I think back at sometimes, and I'll email the guy I worked with at the time and be like, man, that show should be pitched again. Right. It was, It's perfect right now. There, we had some of the most... I wish that I... I don't know if I can even talk about the some of the bad pitches we had that made it further than they should should have but there were some pitches in there that were i I think we can talk about one probably because this show will never get made but we were supposed to make something for i believe it was animal planet at the time and i ended up writing up a concept and a treatment for a show called date my dog (laughs) the the premise of the show is that uh a woman or a man Uh would uh go spend a day with three guys, like, say it's a woman, she would go out to, like, a dog park or something and spend time with three different people's animals that she could possibly date. And the whole premise of the show is that people and their animals kind of act alike. So if you like their animal, you're probably going to like the guy. And then she would decide what guy to date. The third act would be, like, this wonderful meeting of this guy and being like, oh, my gosh, I knew from your dog that you were going to be loyal and smart. And that actually ended up going reasonably well. We ended up fleshing that one out. Wow. Yeah. That blows my mind. Um, Okay, so you became executive producer for this one company that you started out as editor. And what, Mm -hmm. what did the company do? So uh, it was uh, focused on cell phone media. So they had a couple channels live on Vcast, which is Verizon's uh, thing. I don't even know if Vcast is still going, but I, I assume I have so. Verizon, but I've never. If it is, I don't care. At the time, it was horribly expensive and very slow. So that right. was when I first started there. It was ridiculous. But what we were doing is producing you know, 45 second clips for that. Uh, we had, when I first got there, we had a, a Latino youth network, which was our big one. 
and we had a Christian network. Mm-hmm. And then we also did a bunch of kind of side project, uh, which ended up being our biggest money makers that were slideshow applications. So, like, you download an application for two ninety nine, and then you see picture slideshows, mostly of bikini models or lingerie models or hunky guys or uh, cute pets saying funny catchphrases, which I wrote a lot of. <laughs> Those were wonderfully fun. You wrote a lot of catchphrases. This is pets. this is before I can has cheeseburger took off when we were writing the uh, the funny slogans for pets on funny pet pictures. But wow. but yeah, that was so we had you know I think it, at our peak we probably had like eighteen products that needed to be needed content in them. So uh, we did a lot of photography. We did a lot of videography, just going around town shooting whatever we can for cheaply, and then editing them and putting them up. So it's kind of like working for public access, except it went nationwide. Wow. So you you've pitched reality shows, you've edited, you've executive produced, you've written, uh, and now that you're you're nearing the end of this contract on a cruise ship, you want to go back and and focus on the writing. Yeah. What? I mean, it seems obvious what the answer to this is, but what do you want to write? Uh, I want to write really hard hitting Holocaust dramas. Oh, okay. uh, I thought there hasn't been enough Holocaust dramas. There really, really there hasn't, and you know, I think that one of them should finally win an Oscar. I think it's time for a Holocaust drama. I wish the Oscars would finally pay attention to the Holocaust. Well, if there was any Jewish people in Hollywood, maybe we'd be able to. But uh, uh, I mean, you want to write TV and movies, right? Obviously, right. that's the obvious answer. Uh, what if? Would you rather be the executive producer of a show? Would you rather be a showrunner? Would you rather be like a writing staff? Uh, like, what, what's your if you could pick your job in Hollywood? What would you like? I mean, I always believed in working your way through the ranks, so I would never want to start out being a showrunner. Um, I mean, the dream job would be to write jokes for talk shows. I think that would be the end all be all. Or to write sketch comedy. I always love the short form stuff. Yeah. Um, I find myself getting distracted easily when writing a whole pilot. So if you could write for The Daily Show. Oh, that'd be wonderful. Or even like a monologue writer for Conan or something like that. Yeah. That would be great. But, you know, being a showrunner eventually, that would be amazing. Sure. I would love to be able to do that. That's and, high aspirations. But. And, and for my listeners, but mainly for me, a showrunner is, is basically the guy that makes... That, that it makes sure the show happens. Right. Yeah. He's like in charge. It's kind of like what directors have for movies, showrunners have for TV shows. Although TV shows also have directors. Right. So, like, they're, they put everything together. It's, it seems like a, TV has a lot of people involved. Yes, they do. Well, directors mostly in uh, television are just directing that episode. Like, they switch out directors yeah. like crazy, and their focus is just on the look and feel of that episode, whereas the showrunner is more focused on the arcs and yeah. making sure the right people are hired in the right places and uh, making sure that advertisers aren't leaving because they're being racist or foul or... They have to answer to that kind of stuff. Sure. Which is what I dream of doing <laughs> to deal with advertisers. Oh, man, I bet. Uh, and then, okay, now to po- Comedy Podcast Network, you are a podcast guru. Uh, we've talked about how you 
you could name like a thousand podcasts that you listen to, which blows my mind that you have that much time. I assume you listen to them while you sleep. Well, yes, mostly. I know I've been listening to podcasts since 2000, late 2005, early 2006. Yeah. Like right when podcasts came out, I'm like, what? I have rate like talk radio that's focused stuff towards me. And I got really excited about it. That's when Ricky Gervais podcast was in season one. Yeah. Uh, somebody introduced me to it like four episodes in and. I've been hooked ever since, so. Well, and I obviously love podcasts because it's, you can, you do whatever you want. And and why, like, where did Comedy Podcast Network come from? Where, where'd that idea, what are you doing, like? So, Comedy Podcast Network uh, kind of grew out of an idea uh, that I had where I was going to launch my own podcast. Uh, I'm not going to talk too much about that podcast because we might still launch it, but that podcast hasn't even gotten off the ground yet. But, I understand. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but me, I was talking about it, and I was running it by some friends, and they're like, oh, that's funny, you should do that. And then I uh, I was just kind of thinking about it, and I'm like, you know what, I don't know if I really want to do a podcast as much as I want to create a podcast company. Because <laughs> because I had a background in new media, and at that time, I didn't have a steady job. I was doing some like side videography work and editing work. And uh, yeah, so I had some friends who already had pretty successful podcasts so i reached out to them and the smartest people that i know who are also doing comedy in los angeles and i'm like would you be interested in taking this on with me and they were like yes absolutely so we got you know lots of i won't say free labor because they've got equity in the company when it starts making money but they have titles and yeah, yeah yeah and they do amazing work they're already like, Mike Constantini is our sound guy right now, and he's done sound editing and mixing for TV shows and movies, and our website guy already has a really popular social media website in Japan where he lives. And, yeah, having these people all come together, and then we just kind of decided to take this on, and I would kind of handle the how-to-make-money-from-it side. Yeah. Which hopefully will be coming rather soon. This podcast is brought to you by someone to be named in the future. Right. <laughs> Please give us money, someone to be named in the future. Yes, if you'd like advertising on this podcast, insert name of company here. Yeah. Uh, so you've got, and it's in the very beginning stages. Uh, yeah, we launched January of this year. So right now we're still in kind of the content aggregation phase, as they say in the new media uh, world. Which they say is just, a lot of things with syllables. They really do. They love it. That's all business school is. I'm convinced. Everyone I've met from business school, they're not necessarily smarter than regular people. They just have longer terms to say for things. Yeah, that and, then, and acronyms. They have a lot of acronyms. Oh, yeah. We're EB positive. Sure. All right. Okay. Uh, yeah, but uh, we right now we're trying to find kind of the best podcast to promote and how to get people to go to the site. Mm-hmm. And we've already started talking to a couple people who are potential advertisers, but all of them say, you know, yeah, if your site starts becoming big and starts getting a lot of views and your downloads start getting it, then we'll definitely want to work with you. So yeah, it's like you can't you can't make money until you're famous. Right. Exactly. Exactly. The bane of my existence. It's ridiculous. I remember, do you remember the Blair Witch Project, which uh, was made for like, I don't know, $10,000 or something? I remember one of the guys, one of the three actors from that was on like Jay Leno or something, and, and he quit his job on Jay Leno. He was like, I'm telling my boss I'm, I'm, I'm going to quit. And, oh, no. And I just remember like, 
this guy's in a movie that's already made millions, and he's just now quitting. His it's like you have to be famous before you can make. It's money. really true, and now he's not famous, so he's probably go back to that job, right? I who knows? I don't remember any of the people from the Blair Witch Project. I mean, maybe they did. I, I think I remember looking him up on IMDb, and he had a couple credits pending, but who knows? Uh, well, pending's better than what I've got. Well, it's, it's better than what I've got, friend. <laughs> I've got a podcast that isn't quite yet launched. Uh, but by the time you're listening to this, in theory, it'll be launched. Well, be hopefully. We get to it. Yeah, unless they're magic. If, or, the, if any warlocks are listening to this podcast right now, they might have gotten it beforehand. And if any warlocks are listening, can you help us out? Because I bet you've got powers. Yeah. That would be wonderful. Just do a little career spell on me. Uh, anything you want to plug or anything you want to... Like, for yourself? like you know. Always. Uh, Plug away, my friend. Absolutely. So I write for a weekly sketch comedy show in Los Angeles called Top Story Weekly. You can uh, go to topstoryweekly.com to view some of the past episodes every Sunday at 9 at the IOS. You can come see my uh, improv group, Bro Squad 5, at uh, Second City Hollywood, Saturdays nights at 9. Go to brosquad5.com for more info. Or you can check out the podcast at Comedy Podcast Network. Network.com. Look us up on Facebook. Which likely they've been to countypodcastnetwork.com. Well, I would hope so. Because they're listening. Well, then download more stuff, people. <laughs> Stop being selfish. What? Fun. Do you really need that hard drive space for more porn? Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, true. Sorry, right that was a bad argument. That's, that's <laughs> that was a terrible <laughs> argument. Shouldn't have gone there. Oh, goodness. All right. Uh, Phil Ranta, CEO, the guy who made this uh, this podcast possible, and just an all-around horrible human being. Rich Baker. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, bud. Thank you. Huge thank you to Phil Ranta and the Comedy Podcast Network. Also, a big thank you to Diana Lawrence for the original music and Tom Burns for the logo. Email me, livingthedreampodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe on iTunes and please rate the show. Leave a comment. I appreciate all the feedback. My name's Rich Baker and this is Living the Dream.